0: ever missed something that was right in front of you like it was so obvious and you still didn't see it this is a picture of uh, an outlook that we were at in Mammoth Lakes this summer on our big summer vacation and it's just beautiful and we're looking out there we're probably standing there for 10 minutes before we realized there was a deer right in front of us see if you can see it now conversely a couple weeks ago, there was a bear lying next to the retention pond in our neighborhood. You can see him here, and that we couldn't miss. But we don't always see what's in front of us. Maybe it's because we're not expecting it to be there, or maybe because we aren't looking too hard or we're distracted by something else. Some things are too important to miss, and we need to make sure to see them. And Jesus is going to talk about some of those things in the passage we're going to look at this morning, Matthew chapter 11, verses 20 through 24. Then Jesus began to denounce the towns in which most of his miracles had been performed because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you, and you, Capernaum, Will you be lifted to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. What in the world is going on here? This is not warm, fuzzy Jesus. This is disappointed and frustrated Jesus which is always a little bit jarring because we don't expect Jesus to be disappointed or frustrated or irritated. Now we've been in the gospel of Matthew for a while, basically since last April. And honestly, as we have walked through there, I think we've all discovered that there's more stuff about accountability and judgment than we would have thought before. And that doesn't seem really Jesus-y either. I mean, isn't Jesus just supposed to be okay with everything that we do? But what we're discovering is it's more like, here's the way that will bring you life. You've seen it, you know it, you've experienced it. Don't ignore it. Because there will come a day of accountability. In other words, what we do matters. And how we portray the Jesus that we say we know that matters too and one day we'll be held accountable for what we did and what we said and in the meantime what we do and say is going to affect how other people view Jesus so it's pretty important so we have this pretty jarring and uncomfortable passage let's deal with a couple of elements about it first of all What's the deal with these towns? Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum. You've probably maybe heard of Capernaum. Maybe the others, you have no idea what those are. But they aren't just three random towns. So if you can look at the map, you can see that they are on the shore of the the Sea of Galilee. Um, Capernaum is pretty much center. Chorazin's just up the road, basically up the hill. And Bethsaida's a mile or two to the right, actually in a different country, but it's that close. These towns are important because this is Jesus' home turf. Capernaum is where Jesus lives. He moved from Nazareth to Capernaum. He lives there. And the other two are close enough that, you know, they're like the burbs. People would have seen each other all of the time. And Bethsaida, which is just around the lake, is actually where Peter, Andrew, and Philip, three pretty key disciples, are from. So this is a small area, it's familiar territory, and these are tight-knit communities in them among themselves, but also the three of them. It's a little bit like Gig Harbor, where you're out somewhere and you're like, oh, there's my second grade teacher. Or you're walking down the road and somebody honks and you wave because you probably know them. Like that for Jesus. Everywhere he went in this little area, he knew people and people knew him too. And so much of what Jesus said and did was centered in this area. That's basically how the verse starts. So much of what he did was done there. And next year, a lot of us will go to this area and I'll be able to take you to an overlook on the Golan Heights where we can look and see where all of this happened and you'll be amazed at what a small area most of Jesus' miracles happened in. So these are important towns because it's basically Jesus' hometown. So why is Jesus upset with them? Well, Jesus, boiling it down, essentially says, if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented and Sodom would still be standing. So you've probably heard of Sodom, but what are Tyre and Sidon? Uh, Tyre and Sidon were the leading cities in the area of Phoenicia which is the next, uh, next country over. It bordered Galilee. From where Jesus is talking, it's maybe 30 miles, maybe 50 miles to the next one, which seems like a long way, but it's half the distance that it is to go to Jerusalem. So in that day and age, people got around a little bit. Uh, a little bit. But the Phoenician cities, particularly Tyre and Sidon, were known to be for their opposition to God for their opposition to Israel and God's people. And in the Old Testament, Tyre and Sidon are frequently denounced by the prophets because they're evil. And then Sodom, well, Sodom is Sodom. It basically becomes the metaphor, the picture of something that was ultimately destroyed by God. But even Sodom, Sodom, if Sodom had seen the miracles that these other three cities had seen, it would still be standing. And these are cities that are widely known as being anti-God, even them. Cities and people that you would never imagine in a million years would respond to God. If they'd seen the miracles that Jesus' hometown had seen, they would have responded. But Chorazin and Bethsaida and Capernaum didn't. So what was Jesus looking for from these cities and the people that lived in them well one word he's looking for change they have this new piece of information god is among them people are being healed lives are being changed dramatic things have gone on they can't deny what they've seen and they don't they just choose to ignore it or to dismiss it and this leaves jesus somewhat stunned Hence the, wow, if I had done this in those other places, Jesus is looking for change. The biblical word for that is repent. And it's a great word, and we should use it more often in regular conversation, because it means to change your behavior, particularly in response to what God has done. It's like sometimes when someone does something wrong, and they apologize, and part of you is thinking, Are they sorry for what they did or are they sorry that they got caught? Because those are two very different things. What repentance does is it shows sincerity. Repentance shows that the apology, that the feeling sorry, that that was real because it involves behavior change. So let's say, heard an example of this a couple weeks ago. Let's say you cheat on a test at school and you get caught obviously you feel bad now if you realize that it was truly the wrong thing to do if you recognize that you've compromised your integrity and that the teacher will never trust you in the same way again what you can do is you can repent and you can literally do something like go to the teacher and say look I made a mistake I shouldn't have cheated on that test I feel bad about that I will never do that again and to show you how serious I am about that I'd like to sit where you can see me and my paper the entire time the next time we take a test that's what repentance looks like let's say you know somebody who has a tendency to text while they drive let's use me for an example if I got pulled over for texting while I was driving I'd feel bad but there's a strong chance that I'd feel bad because I got caught. Except, I was really impacted by the accident at the toll booth last week. I don't know whether you heard about that or not, but there was a couple that was stopped to pay their tolls at the Narrows toll booth. And for whatever reason, a driver behind them wasn't paying attention and had their truck on cruise control and drove into the toll plaza and realized too late that he needed to stop. And He ended up killing two people So in response to that I've repented from texting and driving because I saw how quickly that accident happened and how Devastating it was so I'm just not going to do that anymore Repentance happens when we get a new piece of information and decide to respond to it with life change So here you have Jesus walking around healing people, changing lives, demonstrating that the God of the universe is interested in people. But these towns, Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum, keep living like nothing is different and nothing has changed. So Jesus talks about these miracles that were done in them. I mean, maybe they weren't that big of a deal, maybe they're like the deer, you couldn't really see it, or maybe they were like the bear and it's hard to miss, and I think it was more like the bear. So what were the miracles? Well, they're listed in a couple of places. In chapter four, verse 23 and 24, it says, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. In chapter eight, the whole chapter is taken up with healing. Jesus heals a demon-possessed man, he heals the centurion's servant, he heals Peter's mother-in-law, and then he calms the storm on the sea. In chapter nine, verse 35, got another little list, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That's the type of thing that Jesus was doing. So let's make some notes about that. So first what Jesus is doing is that he's demonstrating that he has come to break the power of evil and ultimately to destroy death. He heals people from some pretty spectacular conditions and some pretty mundane ones. Demon possession, which might be um, epilepsy or mental illness, or could really be demon possession. I don't want to be too Western Enlightenment-y here. Um, He cures people from epilepsy. He cures people who are paralyzed. He heals people who are really, really sick. And remember, the level of medical care available is pretty much non-existent. If you got sick, a lot of people just died because there was no antibiotics, no Tylenol, no breathing treatments, not much at all. And all of these things are manifestations of the fact that the world is broken. It's not supposed to be like that. People aren't supposed to get cancer. People aren't supposed to be demon possessed. People aren't supposed to have migraine headaches. And Jesus, in a very dramatic and effective way, steps in and reverses the evil. He heals them and he makes them the way that they were supposed to be, free of those things. Another thing that I want to make a note about this is that in that day and age, if you were sick or had something terrible befall you, like like an accident where you had a compound fracture of your leg or something like that and would be lame for life, it was generally assumed that that happened because you were a bad person, that you were evil and had done something wrong, or that God was mad at you. So sickness also had a stigma that was attached to them. And so it's very important that these people are brought to Jesus, broken people, hurting people, and Jesus doesn't reject them, Jesus touches them and he shows that God isn't mad at them, that they aren't cursed, that they're still important and made in the image of God. And this is a huge part of proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. Hey, you have just been healed, here's something even better. That healing happened because God has come among you and is establishing his kingdom where there's hope and healing and forgiveness open to everyone. So these things that Jesus is doing, It's pretty dramatic stuff, instant life change, instant impact because of an encounter with Jesus, demonstration that the God of the universe has stepped down into ordinary people's lives and cares about them. That's really good news. What Jesus is doing is huge, except that the people who know Jesus best miss it all. So why did they miss them? Jesus gives us one example of why. There might have been more, but right before our passage in verses 18 and 19, he gives the reason why they're rejecting rejecting him. People say that Jesus can't be the one. He can't be the Messiah because, you'll love this, he eats too much, he drinks too much, and he's always at a party with questionable company. And in response to that, Jesus says, you know, you're never gonna be happy because John the Baptist barely ate, he didn't drink at all, he was a hermit, and you didn't approve of him either. Our passage says, for John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he's a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, but wisdom is proved right by her deeds. Essentially, when people that knew Jesus best looked at him, He wasn't who they thought he would be. He didn't do the things they thought he would do. He didn't act holy enough. So if Jesus wasn't what they were looking for, what were they looking for? I don't know. But whatever it was they were looking for, they didn't find it in Jesus. They had a framework for what it was going to look like and Jesus didn't fit into the framework. Now, I kind of look at our day and age, and maybe we can draw some insight from this. Because they say that in every election, people vote their pocketbooks. Maybe they're the same way. Yeah, great. I'm glad Miriam can walk again. But you know what? Taxes are due next month. When is Jesus going to do something about that? Or, hallelujah, Eliezer went back to work. For the stupid Romans. If Jesus was really the Messiah, he'd do something about that. And I wonder if it was more that type of thing. You know, bread and butter issues. Things are expensive. We don't like the Romans. Those are the issues that really need to be addressed. And they just couldn't get over Jesus hanging out at parties with the wrong kind of people. And because they had these preconceived notions about what God would look like and what God would be doing and what the right thing was, because of all that, they missed God at work among them. And I'm just really taken by that thought. Because a lot of what I read is about people who have tied their Christianity to some issue, which to them is the key issue that they think really needs to be addressed. And maybe, just maybe, we get so focused on what we want to happen in one area or what we think something should look at, what we think something should look like, that we miss what God is actually doing. And that's what happened in Jesus's hometown. All of these amazing things happened. People's lives were being changed and folks missed it. But love verse nine, wisdom is proved right by her deeds. What Jesus is saying is they thought they had all these insights, but they were wrong. You can tell if a person is wise by what their actions produce. If you do stuff that's idiotic, you can't be wise. So what are some of the applications we can make from this? Well, I think first and foremost, we have to make sure that we're constantly looking for what God is doing, what God is doing here, what God is doing now. As I look around, I see a lot of anger in the church at large, especially on social media. But I don't see an angry Jesus. I see a compassionate Jesus. I don't see Jesus condemning people for being sinners I see Jesus trying to get people to come to him so that he can heal them now sometimes people hear that you know y'all come as it doesn't matter what you do that's not true that is so far from what I'm saying or what I believe Jesus invites us to come as we are but not to stay that way Jesus transforms us Jesus heals us I think we also have to be honest enough to say that it's a whole lot easier to look at other people's stuff and see what they need to change before they can come to Jesus than it is to look at ourselves there are sins that we tolerate in this church i could name them but it would be very uncomfortable what we have to remember is that inside the church outside of the church people who know Jesus, people who don't know Jesus yet, that we're all sinners, saved by grace, challenged to take up our cross. And by the way, what does that mean? If I don't know what it means if it doesn't mean putting aside our prerogatives and our preferences, dying to ourselves, and being conformed to Jesus. Taking up our cross, following Jesus, and being constantly formed into his image and likeness. Because when we do that, That's when we find hope and that that hope that's what we invite people to that's the good news of the kingdom of God I look around and I see Jesus at work all around bringing hope and bringing healing restoring people in spite of the economy or the political situation or the social issue of the day I see Jesus at work everywhere I believe that God is at work everywhere. Because people are still spiritual, people are deeply interested in spiritual things, people are looking for lasting hope, people are looking for peace, people are looking for something that will change their lives. And we have to be careful to make sure that we don't end up being Chorazin, or Bethsaida, or Capernaum. We know Jesus so well, maybe so well, that we can get lulled into a sense of knowing exactly how God is at work, or should be at work. But I talk to so many people who are looking for a faithful Christian community that hasn't taken a hard right or a hard left, that isn't living in the past, that's following Jesus wherever he goes, and participating in what God is doing. Why is this important in the context of these sermons? Because we need to see that God is at work and we need to accurately assess what he's doing because apparently we can miss it just like the folks in Capernaum did. So let me ask you three questions. Number one, what is one way that you see God at work in your life, your sphere of influence or your community? Number two, what is one thing that you wish Jesus would do that he doesn't seem to be doing? And number three, What is the most challenging part of following Jesus in this context for you? Hi, thanks for watching. The people of Harbor Covenant Church really want you to know the love that God has for you want to grow with you in faith, and want to serve alongside you, not only to help others do the same, but also to make our families and our communities better. If that sounds like something that you can get on board with, then like, follow, and drop us a comment in the video. Watch some more videos on our channel, or come visit us on Sunday. You can find out more about Harbor Covenant Church at harborcov.church.